Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey, Summit family, I hope you are enjoying your Labor Day weekend this weekend. Whether you're joining us in person in either Indiana or Blairsville, or maybe you're watching online some from some remote vacation spot, whatever the case is, I just want to say thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm taking some time away this weekend uh, just to try to relax and recharge, and I'm grateful that I've got the time to do that, and that we have such a wonderful team that can cover and make sure we don't miss a beat while I'm away, so I appreciate that. Before we get into that, though, I want to mention a couple things. You've been hearing about a couple things over the last few weeks, and I just want to remind you about them. Um, starting right now, during the month of September, we have our 90-day tithe challenge, and you can onboard at any point. Uh, and if you're somebody who you have never been a tither, you've never given, given the first tenth of your income to God and honored Him in that way, put Him first in your life in that way, um, we've just issued a simple challenge for you. And you can find more information about that by visiting our website, summitpa.church. If you hit the Give tab, it'll be uh, right there. You can find more information about the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. The other thing we've been talking about is September 18th at Johnstown. We are coming to you on September the 18th, and we would love for uh, your friends and family in the Johnstown area to join us that evening at the YMCA. You can get more information about that at our website as well. But I want to want to encourage you right now, be inviting your friends, be inviting the people you know who live in that area to join us that night for an incredible night of worship, uh, for some preaching. And we're just going to see what God does, and we're going to see what doors God opens as we do this. So thank you so much for that. You know, today... It's become our tradition here at Summit that we have either six for six or five for five on Labor Day weekend. We've done a number of different things through the years, and it's always so much fun. And uh, today we're doing five for five. And what that means is we've got five communicators, five of our leaders who are taking five minutes each to share the gospel truth. So they're preaching a point of the message, and they've got five minutes to do that. And as they're doing that, there's going to be a timer on the screen, and that timer will count down from five minutes to zero. When it gets to zero, you're going to hear a buzzer. You're going to hear a noise. It's going to indicate your time is up. No matter where they're at in their message, they are done. So they are finished and they're walking off the platform as the next person walks up. So we're going to have a lot of fun, but I promise you're going to hear the word of God today. And I'm excited about that. We're starting a new series today and it's called Things Jesus Never Said. Um, there are a lot of things that we think are gospel. We think are biblical truths that just aren't. Uh, there are things that we've heard through the, our life that are not in scripture, and we've adopted them as truth. And that's a problem for us when we be begin believing that lies are truth. And so there's some, some lies we're gonna talk through that we've adopted, and maybe you have too. And our team is gonna do a great job today. So do me a favor, uh, we're gonna have our very first communicator come, and I want you to give them uh, the biggest round of applause ever. God bless you guys, have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank you, friends. We have time for none of this. The timer has started. Okay, so today we are looking at God helps those who help themselves. So here's the deal. Anytime I have ever heard this statement, I always think of those people, the mean and underhanded ones who do something on purpose that's nasty and mean, and then they go, well, God helps those who help themselves. Ha ha ha. The evil laugh is a dead giveaway. Not godly, right? But so I thought about it and I was like, well, well, what's at the heart of this then? What is this communicating? And really this communicates a message of self-reliance. It's up to me. It communicates a message of works. 
I've got to make this happen. And it communicates a message of fear. If I don't, who will? See, it's a message that says I'm my own provider. And it's a lie that the enemy weaves in so subtly that sounds so plausible to us. It goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent went up to the Eve and he said, did God really say you can't eat fruit from any of the trees? Uh, no, we can eat fruit from the trees, just not that tree. We can't even touch it or we'll die. And he said, oh, you won't die. God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. Your eyes will be opened and you'll know the difference between good and evil. And the Bible says that the woman was convinced. She saw the tree, it was beautiful. She saw the fruit, it looked delicious. And she really wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took it and she ate it. She gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And just like God said, death occurred. The enemy said, oh no, you won't die. God's just holding out on you. God knows that if you had that, everything would be perfect. And it's a lie that actually calls into question the character of God. Is he really good? Or is it up to me? Will he really provide? Or, or do I have to do it? Romans 8.32 says, Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God loves you so much that he would take his dearly loved, precious son and give him up for you when you didn't want him, when you didn't, weren't looking for him, and when you definitely didn't deserve him, and neither did I. And God would say, I want you so much that I give him to make you alive and new, to make you in my family and with me, to clothe you in salvation and robe you in righteousness. Won't he also give us everything else? In Matthew chapter 26, verse, nope, yes, 26, verse 20, my time. Matthew 6, 24 through 35, okay? Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. Now I have to speed up. He's talking to a crowd of people and he's telling them, don't worry, don't be anxious about all these things in life. Don't you know that God made you? Don't you know that God made the plants and the animals? And doesn't he provide food and, and covering for the plants and the animals? Aren't you more valuable to him than them? Won't he provide for you everything you need? 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received it all. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. The antidote for this lie is to remember who God is and to come to him in humble trust and surrender. 
I'll be addressing the uh, statement or the cliche, if God closes a door, he'll open a window. And some of you may have heard it, uh, another door. If he closes one door, he'll open another. This cliche comes from a movie, and um, the movie is The Sound of Music. So, you know, we do have to be kind of careful what we take uh, in, into ourselves in order to uh, proceed in, in the things of God. Listen, looking for an open door or a closed door most of the time is a distraction to us because then our focus is on looking and not on the door. We're looking for a door and we're not seeing the door. In John 10, 9, it says, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He'll find what he needs. It is imperative that we learn to keep our focus on the real door who is Jesus Christ, not on circumstances. Circumstances distract us. I'm going to look at one circumstance that King David was faced with where he needed to know God's plan, purpose, and pathway for him and his army. Finding God's plan was never meant to be easy, never meant to be quick, because it, it's work that creates value for God's plan in our life. We need to work at finding out what that is. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, not going to read all of that, but David and his men returned to Ziklag where they were camped. Upon returning to their camp, they found that all of their families were gone. Everything that they owned was gone. The Amalekites had come and stolen everything that was there. So David... Uh, was greatly distressed because this people talked about stoning him because of that that robbery that uh, their because their sons and daughters were gone. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He was not looking at the circumstance. He was strengthening his life in Christ Jesus. David fixed his focus on the door, on the door, not on his circumstances. Then David said to Abathar, who was the priest, uh, please bring me the ephod, because he was going to begin to pray. Now, an ephod is a prayer robe that they wore uh, primarily when they were really serious about prayer. And so David got serious before God. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this man? Shall I overtake them? 
And God said to him, David, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. David was willing to do the work and to stay on his knees before God to get the answers that he needed. He knew that God's plan would work. It is important that we invest our lives in knowing God's plan because his plan works. In Revelation chapter 3, the B part of verse 7 says, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. Just remember, that's who our God is. In the book of Second Hesitations, it says, you'll never find peace of mind until you listen to your heart. Written by George Michael. Now, actually, Jesus obviously didn't say any of this. He never once told anybody to follow their heart or that they should do whatever feels right. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the word of God, by the way, the word of God is Jesus, says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So why is it so bad to follow our heart? Why is it so bad to just do whatever feels like? That seems right. That seems correct. The problem is that trusting our own heart is really just trusting in mere human than God. In fact, in verse five of 17, it says this, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely only on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. So when you follow your heart, you become salty, your growth is stunted and you have no hope for the future. That's the most important thing. When you put your trust in a mere human being, your own self, you don't have hope for a future, for God's future, for two reasons. Number one, you might not be exercising your faith. You might be focusing on your negative emotions and your negative feelings so much like, I don't know if this will ever work out. God, you said you're gonna fix this, but I don't know if it ever is actually going to happen. Are you really who you say you are? Am I really ever going to see your blessing? Is anything really going to change or am I just always going to be this way? No hope because you're not exercising your faith. There's no hope because you are indulging in what your heart wants and not consulting God, which means that the future that he has for you is not even in your sights. Instead, you are focusing and hoping in the future that you can create for yourself, which is not the future that God has for you. In Jeremiah 16, 12, it says this, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. When we listen to our heart and follow our heart more, we drown out the very voice of God because our hearts deceive us. They present that heart fulfillment is the key to all happiness. The problem is that what we desire is often not what we need. 
Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I've given my heart to Jesus, so he's given me a new heart, so I can follow my heart and do whatever. Well, the problem is that we are all in a process of being sanctified, being changed, being made new until the day that we die and see Jesus in heaven. So there is still a little bit of our flesh in our heart. There is still wickedness and evil in our heart that is being worked out of us. Our identity is made new. Our identity is made new in Christ, but there is still some evil in our heart and we have to filter that through the word of God. What God says about us and about our circumstances and about our future completely trumps our perceived reality. He is a good father steering us in the right direction for our protection and for our blessing. My daughter, Kinley, when she was four or five, all the time wanted to be something called an alicorn. Now, if you are not up to date on the mysterious figures that five-year-olds come up with, an alicorn is a unicorn and a pegasus mixed together. If she told me that she just wants to be a unicorn and run around with a horn on her head all day, I'd be fine with that. But as soon as she says, I'm gonna be an alicorn and that means I can fly and I'm gonna jump off the steps to show you that I can fly with this horn on my head, I immediately as a good father need to step in and say, no, you are not an alicorn. I don't care how much you wanna be or how much you think that you should be, you are not because I'm trying to protect you. God does the very same thing. We've got to trust God as a father above our own hearts and measure our own desires, our intent, and our thoughts against his word. In Jeremiah 17, seven, it says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and who have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted among the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. You can trust in your own self and continue to be anxious and continue to be stressed out and continue to constantly clean up after yourself or you can filter your feelings, your thoughts through the word of God and you will be planted firm, ready to produce fruit. Right. Hate the sin, love the sinner. It is not a false statement, but it is misleading. It is not a statement that is fully developed. This phrase exposes how we often choose to interact with sin. We use this phrase as a way to actually get around loving people well or a way to avoid having hard conversations with people, specifically those who claim to follow Christ. So if you have a Christian friend who has fallen into sin and all you do is flippantly say, well, hate the sin, love the sinner, you know, we all sin, then you have actually dismissed their sin. You have not loved them well at all. You have excused their sin or are actually hurting them by excusing their sin. And sin is not something to be excused. Jesus was not silent about sin. He talked about the seriousness of sin and that it leads to judgment and that we must, um, it leads to judgment and punishment and that we must repent from it in order to not face judgment, meaning we are repenting from something that God absolutely hates. And that is the truth, that God does hate sin. He hates it because it hurts him, it hurts us, it separates us from God, and God loves us so much that he doesn't want to be separated from us. Sin is the opposite of God's nature. It is the work of the enemy. Sin deceives us, enslaves us, destroys us. Sin is a heavy debt, it is a burden, Sin defiles, sin is a stain, it is darkness, and it brings death. James 1.15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth 
to death. See, if the, if the floor in front of me is a picture of sin and you see me walking towards the death trap of sin, you can call the sin whatever you want, adultery, desiring the applause of man, talking negatively about people, whatever you call it, if you see me walking towards it and you say nothing to me, you have excused my sin. You have not loved me well at all. You have chosen to be passive so that you don't have to confront my sin in love. See, if we are really going to hate the sin and love the sinner, then we must be active in confronting sin in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we have relationship with or a position of authority over. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, sin is more than just the things we do. It is the fruit of our sinful heart. But this is the incredible thing. If you are in Christ, you have received the spirit of God, which means you are no longer a slave to sin. You have been given a new nature. Instead of our sin nature, you have received God's nature in you. It should be abnormal and strange for us as believers to be drawn to sin. I learned this analogy in, in a missions trip to Zambia. If you had a pure white dress or a pure white tux on and you're walking around and I see you and I see, oh, you've got mud on it, you would be like, oh, I wanna do whatever I can to get this mud, this stain out of this because it's not meant to be there. That's not your nature, that's not your character. You'd welcome me saying, hey, I see this, I see this in you and I know that's not your nature. You would welcome that, that doesn't belong in you. We should be diligent about ridding our lives, our hearts of sin by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and having the humility to let other people speak the truth of God into our lives. But for those who do not know Christ, for those who do not follow him, do not expect them to live like they wanna honor God. Do not expect them to desire to turn away from their sin apart from Christ. Expect the lost to act like the lost. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. See, Jesus gained influence among the lost in his day because he didn't react in disgust at their lostness. He invited them in, he dined in their homes, he told them about the kingdom of heaven, he walked with them, he invited them into relationship. May we love the lost the same. God has a holy hatred and judgment of sin, but he also desires that none would perish. Uh, I can't read the verse. So Jesus went to the cross where he took on the sin that we were meant to receive, the punishment, the judgment that we were meant to receive. God's full force of hatred was put on our savior, put on him, and he stood where we belong. And God now looks at us and says, I have no record of sin against you. Go and live free for my glory. <laughs> you're never more safe than when you're in God's will. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of fame of faith. And in it, the writer of Hebrews names many of the heroes of the scriptures. And he talks about ways in which God has worked miraculously in the history of his people to bring his promises to pass and to bring deliverance. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, it says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms 
ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Now, in response to that, we should rightfully say, thank you, Lord, for your delivering power in our lives, for the work that you do in us to bring victory. And if we were to stop there, and if that were the way that God always worked, it would be true for us to say, you're never more safe than when you're in God's will. But that's not how God always chooses to work. And that's not where this chapter even ends. In fact, let's go on and read verses 35 through 40. It says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Don't you feel encouraged? Some weren't about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You see, the reality is that all over the world today, people suffer not in spite of their faith, but because of it. Following Jesus, following God's will, often leads us into places and circumstances that are far from safe. In fact, the book of Hebrews was written to people in just such a situation. They were under persecution. There was very real danger for them as followers of Jesus. Even Jesus himself, who was always perfectly in the will of the Father, was led to suffering and even to death as a part of God's perfect plan for our salvation. And we should not think that we will escape the dangers and troubles of this life either. John 16, 33b says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus doesn't promise us safety. He promises us something that is way, way better. What he promises us is security. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, verse 35 again, and see what it says about these great people of faith. It says that they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. You see, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in something much greater. Our hope is in an eternity with Christ. And so with that, we don't have to hold so tightly to the things of this world. We can rise above and we can overcome them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 with me really quickly says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. I want to leave you with these words from C.S. Lewis to quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Susan, one of the, the children in the book, 
uh, asks a question about Aslan, the great lion king who represents Jesus. She asks this. She says, is he quite safe? In response to Mr. Beaver says this, he says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's the king. Don't settle for safe. Jesus has something much, much better. I just want to ask you now to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Lord, we have a lot of fun when we have this weekend and we do this series, this sermon. And, but Lord, right now this is a holy moment and the reality is that There's been truth that's been shared today. And there have been lies that have been exposed, lies that we believe about who you are. And Lord, the result of that often is that we find ourselves in a place of disappointment or disillusionment or bitterness or anger, not because you have failed us, but because Lord, our view and our understanding of you was, was wrong. And the promise that you have for us is so much better than what we perceived or what we thought. And so, God, we pray today that you would help us to see you clearly, help us to see you rightly, help us to know you. So that our faith might be strengthened, so that we might stand firm. So Lord, speak to us now. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. Have your way. Have your way. You know, there's a common thread that runs through all of this. And that is that our tendency is to trust in ourselves rather than to trust in the Lord. To opt for self-sufficiency and self-indulgence and self-comfort and selfishness. God invites us into a life that is so much more full and so much more complete and so much more peace and joy than we could ever understand when we rely on ourselves. So for some of you this morning, you don't know that security that comes from knowing Jesus. You've not experienced that peace and that wholeness that only comes in knowing that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this morning I want to give you an opportunity, I want to give you an invitation to begin a life with Jesus. To say, God, my life belongs to you. I trust in you. And if that's you this morning, you say, Todd, today is my day. I know that today is the day I need to give my life to Jesus. If, you, if that's you, if you would just raise your hand wherever you are. I'm not going to call you to the front or embarrass you in any way. I just want to be able to pray with you. 
and to celebrate with you as you begin a new life with Christ. So if that's you, could you just raise your hand really quickly? Thank you over on my left. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else this morning? So here's what I'd like to do. I want to ask everyone in the room to pray along with this one who raised their hand this morning. In a prayer of surrender to Jesus, it's just simply say, Dear Lord, forgive me for trusting in myself. Forgive me for my sin. Today, I give my life to you. From this moment forward, I will follow after you. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to know you. My life is yours. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise this morning? Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, uh, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from the depths of your heart, I want you to know that the Word of God says that you are made a new creature in Christ Jesus, that old things have passed away and that everything has become new. And so in light of that truth, Jesus is inviting you into a whole new way of living. And we want to be a part of that. We want to help you as you begin that journey with Jesus. And so what I'd like for you to do, if you would, is reach in the seat back in front of you and take out that card that's there and fill that out. Or you can text the word Summit PA to the number 94000 and select the option that says Salvation. Or you can just scan this QR code. We want to make it as easy as possible because we want to get connected with you. We want to help you as you begin your new life in Christ, give you some tools that will help you to grow and help you to, to, to experience life in the way that God has created and desired for you to. So if you could do that for me, that would be, that would be amazing. Uh, we are so excited for what God is doing in your life. You will never regret the decision that you made today to follow Jesus. I can promise you that. So now we're going to sing one last song together, as is our practice, right? But I don't want you to approach this moment like, okay, uh, it's, it's about time to go. Let's sing this song and then I can leave. This is an opportunity for us to reflect. This is an opportunity for us to ask the Lord, Lord, in what ways have I believed these lies? In what ways have I been relying on myself rather than trusting in you? God, have I been choosing safety over the security that comes in knowing you? Have I been unwilling to step out and take a risk because I want to be comfortable? Lord, have I been relying on myself? In my wisdom, in my strength. And Lord, if that's the case, reveal that in my heart today so that you might be first in my affections so that I might be a person who will say in all sincerity, God, whatever you ask me to do, wherever you ask me to go, whatever you want, my life belongs to you. You are my first, you are my last, you are everything. So stand this morning. I want you to know that I love you. Such an honor to be one of your pastors. God bless you.